me uh, share my screen. Okay. So y'all see this? Here's like a... Yeah, we're seeing it. This is our community's uh, website at the moment. Um, so it's kind of like structured as a 3D start page. We uh, started an avatar intro group, which um, you can check out here on GitHub, our current projects. Uh, and we have like a calendar um, as well. And we're really all about like how we can experiment with wearables, avatars, um, the file formats, and also like animation systems between different game engines and uh, virtual worlds. We're working on MetaLoot, which is 3D loot wearables, as well as open source avatar builders, um, and also Clonex a little bit. MetaLoot, uh, you can like click this, and the links open up the window here or uh, in a new tab sometimes. Um, but yeah, we got the main site up. Uh, it's also on Loot Project, but it's currently a placeholder experience. We're going to redo all of this pretty soon. Um, and so keep an eye out on that. Uh, what's cool about this site is you can like play some games within, like it's like a game in the game type of thing. Uh, let me see if I could show an example of that. If I go here, if I click here, it'll open up another 3D world. Uh, that's a bit of a distraction, though. I don't want to get too deep into that. Um, so MetaLoot, uh, I guess a quick refresher on it. Um, basically, we are visualizing loots in 3D. Everything is already 3D modeled. Now we are working on how to add these to your avatar in an easy way, but after Clonex dropped and you know, it's basically like some assembly required from Artifact Studios, I'm thinking like, you know, there can be a, a drop where it's not 100% plug and play, but allows for people to just start, you know, experimenting um, because it, it's not just maybe your avatar that you want MetaLoot for. Maybe it's, you know, monster drops. So uh, with the main um, platform that we're experimenting with uh, in terms of virtual worlds, Webiverse, uh, you could easily mod a NPC in the world as a uh, aggro uh, NPC, uh, same avatar file format as your character. Um, and so it's kind of like a open source, like build your own MMO um, type of thing. Uh, and yeah, so MetaLoot, like I, uh, kind of explained this backstory of how, um, you know, big metaverse is rising in power and, you know, someone mentioned discord being the metaverse. Here's that graphic I was thinking about cause all these virtual worlds are kind of closer together, uh, one hop away, um, in terms of discord, um, so we're right now really thinking about how to equip our characters and go on a journey between all sorts of different virtual world platforms um, and uh, 
yeah, I don't want to rehash that entire old presentation. Um, but in terms of new stuff, we're working on something. Uh, it's an open source kind of like stylized, like Ready Player Me um, in terms of really ease of use. And this is all programmer art. We're replacing all these things. But standard file formats, you can upload your own custom character and uh, you can upload kind of a asset pack from something like Blender or something we're doing with Metaloop. And uh, so we're going to make a real easy kind of avatar builder. Um, and here's a screenshot uh, with a character all equipped. Um, there will be a connect wallet account so or work uh, flow so that you connect your wallets and then perhaps you see your character already uh, geared up with your synthetic loot. And so visualizing synthetic loot is something I'm really stoked about. And we also got another avatar builder type of thing that can export to many different like metaverse platforms. Um, and uh, it's more of a randomizer. So maybe meta loot, it's, you don't want to just like equip your hero character. Maybe you have this option of a loot bag going to a uh, hollow knight or a undead kind of like, uh, you know, uh, bad guy NPC in the world. And I think a randomizer would be great for that. Um, you know, like kind of giving people a choice between uh, these different forces in the world. Um, so we're working on base mesh avatars and uh, randomizers and avatar creators and um, uh, integrating it into uh, virtual world platforms such as Webiverse, uh, which supports custom avatars and avatar LOD. So, you know, a, a custom avatar can be really heavy in terms of file size and download and all that, and they have a automatic way of uh, converting it to like a Doom Sprite. Um, and I could show examples right here. Um, I'll give like a quick little demo. Oh, I need to uh, start the server. Um, well, once I start the server, I can show. Um, and yeah, so I also kind of talk about all these other avatar builders that are out there, like what Facebook is building or Meta, um, Meta Human, Ready Player Me, which is a super popular option, but all these are, uh, you know, proprietary apps and you don't have permissive licensing. Like you make a Ready Player Me character you're downloading something that's CC by non-commercial. So you can't even really use it in like a lot of projects because of that licensing. Um, and they're kind of heavy. Vroid Studio is really awesome though. Like you can download it as a VRM and you own everything about it. Like, uh, you know, in terms of the licensing you decide on it. Um, so just kind of comparing what's out there, nothing is, is really out there that respects a person's freedom. And we want to create a onboarding experience into like, um, the metaverse side of web three with a, uh, avatar creator experience that you can download for many different platforms and, you know, with your loot bags. Um, so that is 
what's being worked on at the moment. And uh, we're working on just gearing up our characters uh, to take this great journey across all the different platforms while we record a uh, with a camera crew so that we're creating content and documentation. Because, um, you know, M3 is kind of this crew of open source hackers and 3D artists and devs and programmers. And we, we love talking about, you know, uh, interop and tools and plugins and standards that can uh, make the lower the switching costs between places and just overall improve the ecosystem. But I think it needs a driving force. It needs something fun, engaging, and you know, some storytelling aspect, not just like pure tech. And so it's we're gearing up for an adventure avatar and truck group. If anyone wants to, uh, you know, if, even if you're new to 3D avatars, we can teach you how to create your own and also how to gear it with MetaLoot. And uh, it, it would be cool to have, you know, people customize uh, based on their loot bag uh, and um, join us as we take field trips into these other worlds and connect it together, you know, while figuring out how to improve the overall infrastructure. And here's... Here's one of the characters that I geared up recently. It's a bored ape. Um, so they're going to be like characters in this kind of virtual production um, series that we're doing. If y'all aren't sure what virtual production is, it's uh, using off-the-shelf consumer uh, hardware like VR and you know real-time game engines and stuff. And you can animate a movie in VR uh, and just kind of real-time graphics that has improved things to such a point that uh, previs and final pixel quality is kind of one and the same. You can do things where I have to wait days for things to render because uh, real-time engines have gotten so good. And we, we use a lot of VRChat for our virtual production type stuff. Um, and we're planning to do some short episodes where we kind of... Uh, create narratives of the challenges of Entrop and building the open metaverse. Um, and also on that subject, uh, in terms of MetaLoot, uh, here's kind of a, we did it, we were doing a weekend hackathon every week now, um, where we're just working on MetaLoot uh, till it's ready to uh, ship. Um, here's an example where you sign in with the wallet and you automatically see your synthetic loot. And uh, we're working on this experience where you sign in with your wallet and then the doors open up and you see not only your synthetic loot, but also the loot bags that you own, whether more loot, loot OG, or Genesis Adventures as these treasure chests that you can then claim until phase two happens. So here's a preview of that. So imagine you hit the website and it asks you to connect your wallet. You connect your wallet and then the doors open up. And as the doors open up, uh, it's like you kind of found this treasure room in like a RPG game. And then you see your synthetic loot on like a knight armor stand. And also we read like 
what other loot NFTs that you hold in your wallet and we represent those as chests that you can claim. And so you're, you're claiming a 3D NFT uh, equivalent of your loot bag. And the unbundling event where the chest opens up is a kind of a phase two item because we have some ideas where it's not just like you're receiving whatever one-to-one that's in your loot for your character because if people have many loot chests, like, I mean, cool, you have like a lot of items and stuff, but I think there's a lot of creative possibilities that we could explore in phase two together especially. So um, that's what we got so far. I'm, I'm super stoked about the whole experience because, I mean, we we love making 3D websites, as you can kind of see. This this website is like a 3D website about 3D websites. If you click a bunch of these links, you're going to see, you know, M3 is a community of people that not just, like, make content on platforms, but also the platforms themselves. You know, Webiverse is actually, like, a culmination of a lot of the ideas that are, were spun out of M3. And we already have a way to, like, open chests and stuff, um, like in-world and uh, equip items and wearables. Um, and, you know, there's things that you can, like, damage. So this isn't, like, a, a platform where it's, like, another crypto art gallery um, and it's just, like, a hangout space. You, you could uh, have vehicles, weapons, pets, bows, arrows, guns, all sorts of stuff, and we're implementing Meta Loop into that. Um, let me see if I could show one of the characters now. All right, while that loads, anyone have any questions? Um, I'd be excited to hear from Standard Combo about interoperability stuff and ways that y'all can partner because what's going on in his world and what's going on in your world are the leading edge of the Lootverse um, and seeing ways that we can take field trips across these you know, pieces of the metaverse together is a really cool concept. Yeah, I'm down to uh, Standard Combo is uh, you're building the Unreal stuff? Um, yes and no. Uh, it's more complicated. We can definitely, yeah, we should do a, a conversation. Gene, if you want to sync on that, we can um, outside of here. Because I do think there are there are ways to to interconnect those projects, but it's uh, it's complicated. So what I'm building is in core, and core is. Um, is like uh, okay so another way to explain it is that you have the Unreal Engine and then you have the Unreal Editor right those are both by Epic Games but they're different things and um, Core is an editor that uses the Unreal Engine it's not the Unreal Editor does that make sense yeah and so it's um, it's a different it's it's designed to be more productive for for game development, uh, and it's it's many times more productive, like twenty times more productive than than Unreal Editor. 
and okay. and but that comes at at compromises, right? You always uh, always have trade offs in in software, so we could talk about that. And I mean, for for loot MMO, it's perfect, right? It's like core is perfect for loot MMO. It's what it was built for, practically. Um, we can do interoperability. It's a strong suit of core as well. Well, can you export so we'll see. Uh, characters and assets? Like, do you, if, you, do you, if you have game art, then we could just focus on mm-hmm. the assets. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's do a call and talk about that offline. Sounds good. Nice. Yeah, I don't mean for you guys to have to brainstorm in public, but I just feel like there's such good shared energy between those two teams, and both of you are building something really powerful for the Lootverse. Jen, this is so cool to see this. I know this has been in your room since, like, November, since you, like you said. So cool to see it coming to life. Yeah, I, uh, I think with the Avatar Builder, that's going to be a pretty awesome um, way to get all the modders and stuff because we have this now remixable wearables pack and I'd like to see different interpretations of Metalutes eventually um, but it's going to be a rising tide I think for um, many different projects there isn't a really great open source avatar creation process it's really hard to make uh, custom avatars and wearables for such at the moment so it's solving a lot of problems, and we're learning a lot, too. I want to wish more people from M3 were here, but that's kind of been my mission is to bring these two communities together because the on-chain folks and people in the loot like, community and Hyperverse are all like experimenting with these ideas of composability and metadata and, like, hyperstructures and stuff that and decentralized storytelling stuff that I think is really relevant to uh, building the open metaverse um, so uh, I'm looking forward for uh, these different camps to finally connect I can't uh, show a uh, demo yet. I have to rebuild my dev environment, but the whole claim process is its going to be sick. Well, hopefully it'll be ready in a couple weeks, uh, or maybe we'll see. So, Jen, just to reiterate, kind of the first kind of launch, quote-unquote, that you'll be doing, is this, like, unboxing experience based on what's in your wallet? It's going to be claiming your synthetic loot. Oh, okay. Um, Got it. So it'll be something that is free. Not really. Uh, uh, I don't really want to charge people to mint their synthetic loot. It's just like you can download the GLBs or something, and then you can claim your loot uh, chests. So it's same thing as like the uh, it's bundled loot NFT now bundled into a 3D chest. And then you can bring that 3D chest into your home spaces on X, you know, wherever platforms. You can't open it yet. That'll be a phase two thing because we want the unbundled items to look really awesome. And we also want to throw on some surprises and twists. And I just think that uh, 
you know, I've never played an MMO where you just rush to get, like, all the best loot, in a way. Like, I want it to feel like an MMO. I've been playing some, like, Elden Ring and getting some ideas and some other RPG. I've been a lifelong gamer, and I just want to bring some of those aspects um, into these projects. Like, you know, unlocking this kind of, like, uh, doorway on the, the web. Like, I want the internet to feel like an MMO. Um, and so that's kind of part of the whole... Uh, process that we're experience that we're building and you know hopefully it'll serve as kind of like a, uh, a proof of concept for maybe doing something more extravagant in the future um you know where maybe like you play a game to like claim some loot or upgrade it or something you want to keep extending it into new possibilities and areas so it'll be all open source But yeah, what you're going to be able to claim and download is your synthetic loot and a chest, uh, which later can be opened up in phase two. And we need more 3D NFTs. I think the 3D NFT like ecosystem is just getting started. Uh, Clonex is going to be one such catalyst of it. But um, I think the avatar builders are going to also be playing a part and um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited as like crypto art and NFTs gets more metaverse and, you know, uh, just bringing people along for that ride. Oh, I could, uh, just probably drag and drop something right into here. So I could drop my custom avatar into this window. Um, and just show you what a uh, metalute equipped uh, character looks like. So here's that eight. Um, I don't have the weapon, but this whole world that I'm in, and even the app itself, is open source. So I could just go into the code and uh, tweak it. Um, I'll share that on my screen. If you go to uh, github.com slash webverse, the main app, the scene file that I'm in, which um, it's all just basically JSON. And you'll see here it's pulling together a bunch of uh, 3JS apps, GLTF files, uh, GLB files. Um, and there's the sword here, and then I could just mod this sword to be like one of the weapons on the wall, like this uh, this hammer. I think that's the war hammer. Um, and when I do that, it'll just simply equip, and uh, I can then use it. And that's the other thing about Entrop is, you know, usually you see a lot of wearables that kind of get attached to the same avatar base mesh, which is like what Ready Player Me does, but not really a lot of many, like a lot of different characters. And that's the point of Avatar Entrop Group. We want to equip 
all sorts. We want to have we want to tie together a lot of different NFT communities, and MetaLoot is the collection to kind of tie it all together. And we're just right now in the dressing room phase. Uh, after we get geared up, then you know we've got a indie virtual production crew and a bunch of like game devs and programmers and stuff on where we can use it. Um, but it takes a community uh, to build this stuff. So we've been doing um, workshops and presentations and field trips, and we're working on fashion shoots as well. Uh, these DAO proposals go towards building infrastructure. So in the past um, couple of months, we built like a light box style studio, similar to like what Epic Games did. Um, with their real-time uh, kind of virtual production type stuff, if you check out their motorcycle shoot, they uh, kind of show off like this whole aspect behind the scenes of filming in virtual environments where this screen, they're not using green screen anymore. They're using video LED screens, and that makes it so that the light uh, casts real nicely on the... Um, actors as well as the uh in environment uh props like the motorcycle and you don't get a lot of light spill like if you were to use green screen you know you would get a lot of spillage of the green on on all those reflections so the result is way way shorter iteration cycles um because it's all done in real time and the whole production process kind of you know it used to be prohibitively expensive to change the script and now it is uh real time so like it becomes more like play and imagination uh which is a, a total game changer like things that were unimaginable like alternate endings and you know like you know these different changes that you had to do that were really hard to do because of all the setup required it can be done on the fly and we built this kind of system in VR. Um, uh, we, we did it for NFT NYC event um, in which we had access to a, a physical studio in New York that was based on uh, the same concept. It was basically floor to um, ceiling and digital displays. And so we recreated that in uh, VR. And if anyone has VR chat, we can show you what that looks like. Um, and just kind of building up that infrastructure that we can always teleport back into. I don't have that many pictures in here of it, but uh, I think it's over here. Yeah, here we go. Um, here's how it kind of looks like in there. Uh, we we basically did an event simulation of the NFT NYC event thing, but we can use it for anything else afterwards. Uh, main idea is that we can get displays from any virtual world, so we don't have to build the world every single time um, to do like a virtual production. We could just get video, and then we'll have the camera tracking and everything, and we can record previs and platforms like VRChat. Um, but the goal is next to also record the motion capture 
so that we can render it in other engines, um, Unreal, Unity, Web, etc. So if we do like a music video or some kind of short, uh, we, we capture it once and can remix it infinitely. Um, and that's something that you can kind of see on this screenshot. Uh, on the left side here, the, the colors are basically um, motion data that's encoded as pixels. And I could show what that looks like in the, the browser player here. If it works. Um, I'll give it a second to load, but uh, the main gist is we would have this attached to our avatars, and we have like an avatar dressing room already. So for anyone that gears up their adventure with Metaloot, um, we can add it into the avatar switcher. And then right that's right over here. So we have kind of a portable dressing room. So you can switch your avatar, check yourself in the mirror, and then be able to jump right in. And then uh, as you jump in, let me try refreshing. Well, in any case, the uh, interop in terms of mocap, that's another thing that um, you can check out the notes of um, here. Uh, virtual, virtual production, mocap interoperability. Here we go. Uh, so it looks sort of like this. Um, this CryptoVoxels guy is in my browser. Behind them is VRChat and a character in VRChat being animated by that video. So it's like many layers. Um, but the VRChat video, um, that character there, their movements is getting encoded in those uh, color pixels. And those color pixels are being read in the web client. And then from there, I could export a Unity animation. And then I could just, you know, in post, we can change the avatar, camera positions, etc. We have just basically like a volumetric kind of studio that way. Does that all make sense? A um, whole lot of notes here on mocap and travelability. Uh, so. That's kind of a big part of it because as we're, you know, LARPing uh, through all these virtual worlds and discussing interoperability, we're also taking doc video and documentation. And that goes into different working groups, building out tools, plugins, uh, collaborating on open standards and discussions. You know, this kind of stuff will really aid in that, um, you know, with case studies and um, all that kind of stuff. We also have a way uh, to stream mocap uh, mo information from Unity back into VRChat too. So it's like we have all of this really cool like ways of piping data um, between different game engines uh, and platforms. 
even as well as like, oh, this is so cool. Like there's some indie virtual production crews and places like VRChat already that are doing some really amazing things. And you've got like access to awesome camera systems there. Uh, if you don't know what's going on with this GIF, basically somebody setting up some spline curves and it's like part of their avatar where they can basically set up a camera track that they can like smoothly get some like pan shots in any, any world. It's a real awesome underground um, when it comes to like film production. I'm really interested in decentralized storytelling and I'm sure all of us are as well. Bottom up kind of like storytelling, decentralized Hollywood, it's happening right now on these platforms like VR chat and you know, it's, it's a, you can upload your own custom avatars and worlds, but what about how you can bring stuff that you made in one platform into the next? And that's where all this mocap and drop research comes from as well. So looking into ways that you can record your motion data in the background or in the app, and then we could render it in all sorts of places so that, you know, you could replay it uh, as an experience that you can, uh, enjoy in VR or like we can remix and render with the highest quality um, lighting and setup so you could be like a cinematographer in a VR environment with your team all like you know remotely uh, working on like in a kind of a virtual soundstage um, type of production so a lot of good links here I'll drop it in the chat uh, if anyone wants to follow along with our overall like progress, XR Devlog is the current one-stop shop of research and projects um, that we're working on. Uh, got some Clonex that we're gearing up with Metalutes as well. Um, if anyone has Clonex and want to set theirs up, uh, let me know. We can figure that out. Here's what my guy looks like with Metalute. Um, just kind of like currently in casting mode. So uh, getting these characters rigged up uh, and then we don't have a script. So it'd be cool if there is like people interested in um, providing some structure there. But I, I really like Dom's idea of uh, how stuff like Shakespeare and Snow White, Cinderella, King Arthur, all these like works um, that are uh, public domain, we could probably use those. And, you know, like we can make like a, uh, a, a virtual production with something like one of those scripts, Snow White, for instance, and then replace it with NFT characters. Like maybe, you know, it's a cryptode and, there's like a Hyperloop character and uh, the dwarves are like nouns and, you know, just CCO it all up. And then while we act it all out and VR remotely, we could save all the animation data and release that as a way that people can remix it uh, forever. And that could also be a way to... Um, you know, like we could mint animation NFTs and uh, help fund a treasury for deeper exploration in this whole decentralized storytelling, virtual production, uh, game dev aspect as well.
Is this loaded? No. All right. So my demo didn't work, but um, next time I'll get a recording for y'all. Cool. Uh, any thoughts, feedback? And uh, wait, am I not hearing Discord? Oh, <laughs> okay, thanks. thanks. Um, yeah. We basically meet Mondays and Tuesdays, so that's um, you know, Mondays for virtual production, like writer's room. And we're working on an actual writer's room, uh, like a, a virtual one, of course. So as you can imagine, no, we're going to knock down the walls and uh, make it kind of like an open place, but like writer's rooms, uh, you know, you want to be immersed in the story, the characters, the art. If you look at like examples of TV show writer's rooms, um, you can see that they are, you know, have a lot of post-it notes on the wall and uh like pictures and stuff, we want to emulate that because it gets you into that group flow state much quicker, right? So, um, I looked at uh, some of these for inspiration to breaking work on the virtual. And then there's a gallery hooked up to it so that you can walk through the uh, digital backlots and kind of see all the props and um, concept art and dolly really great in here too. Uh, but yeah, that is definitely a phase two or three type of thing when it comes to like meta loop. Still working on it kind of in parallel here and there, though. Gene, as always, I just want to speak for all of us and say this is incredible. It's awesome to see you back here and see this progress. Thank you. Yeah, I I, uh, I I think it's finally all starting to come together, and we see a uh, a goal that is we can like really get this over the finish line, and you know get some stuff to the wider community to really hack around and play with. Um, does kind of require some you know multiple Discord coordination of sorts, so. Is like we have, and that's kind of how I structured Avatar Interop Group, by the way. Um, like you can see here, I added like Thursday, Blue Town Square, and Wednesday, Omni Group Community Call. Uh, the Open Metaverse is getting built in many places, not just one server or the other, right? So I try to structure the community calendar of events in such a way that we could. Uh, see the things that are happening in other places as well. Um, 
if the uh, community call is kind of consistent at this hour, I'll add it to here. Um, but yeah, just in general, uh, this is kind of the place where you can uh, most easily reach us and as we're working on all this, all the uh, relevant um, devlogs are also noted in here as well. If anyone doesn't have an avatar, they don't want like something that looks like a anime character or maybe they want their NFC or whatever, just hit us up. We'll help you out. Like I have a guide as well. If you want to like, uh, you know, kind of onboard to building, um, learning how to build uh, these 3D characters and worlds, it's called Good Good. And, uh, you know, um, check this out and uh, we'll be happy to kind of answer questions and help along the way as well. But if you have like a character or if you don't have a character, you can download a CCO avatar um, from Crypto Avatars or Vroid Studio. Um, Crypto Avatars just got a new site. And if you go to Gallery and you hit Open Source, all of these are CCO avatars that you can uh, download the file of. Um, so that's, that's one resource. Uh, yeah, feel free to check out the links and hit us up. I got a whole bunch of stuff on NFT 3D avatars in this particular devlog, as well as performance targets uh, for keeping things optimized. Because I want, you know, a lot of participation. And if you have a Quest 2 in terms of a VR headset, then uh, we have to basically make avatars that are optimized to this spec um, in terms of triangles and materials. And yeah, it takes some work, but uh, the big idea, the big picture is creating kind of like a new shelling point. Like you see movies like Ready Player One and things like Fortnite, and what do they all have in common? It's tons and tons of crossovers. So Metaloot is kind of this collection of wearables that we can have all sorts of crossovers from the internet cinematic universe and the whole like crypto community um, all kind of like tied together uh, you know it's like an episode of kind of like this show kind of, kind of reminds me of South Park you know the stick of truth in a way but all the NFT characters are dressing up and um, playing a part in it so this is our way of bringing all sorts of communities into the fold, especially the ones that are coming out with 3D files. Um, they're the most kind of ready. But not everything has to be a character. Some can be your pet or a companion. So we have that capability for, you know, like uh, these uh, systems where you can, like, have a pet or a mount. Uh, that's what I'm currently doing with Super Yetis is... Uh, it's basically going to be something that can follow you around, but also you can piggyback on. And as you're as you're gearing up for, um, you know, this kind of first Metaloot release or version one. Um, 
Like, is there anything specifically you need from, like, the, just the loot community in general? Is there any... Um, yeah, anything you need? Um, I think uh, I would love for maybe one of the Avatar and Trap uh, group meetups for someone from here to talk about loot and why it's special and what makes it unique. Like, I, I would love for people to hear it from a different perspective because I'm currently the one who's kind of like most up to speed and I've been basically telling a lot of people in the M3 community about like, okay, like grab a more loot bag and then like mint a hyper loot. And so we've been doing that so far. Um, but people don't really understand why or what it's all about quite yet and, and I think like the depth that it deserves so I would love for uh, if, if someone would um, could uh, kind of explain the wonders and uh, most exciting things and just kind of the, the lore of like loot and from um, a way to kind of for people to see the, the bigger picture, I guess, from this fresh perspective, that'd be, that'd be really hugely appreciated. Uh, we do meetups that can, that attract like, uh, you know, 20 to 30 people. Um, so I can, uh, you know, draw an audience and it's a lot of people that work on 3D and uh, virtual world type stuff. And, um, you know, we're, we're MetaLoot is about giving those people building blocks because uh, there wasn't really that many, uh, you know, like Loot is great because it's like building blocks. And if you want to build like a community of people that are builders and makers, you know, they're interested in things to make things with. Um, but a lot of the, uh, like, characters... And just and projects weren't like the kind of assets that uh, we like to use to build with. So, uh, you know, we created the 3D collection. Um, but I, I still would love for uh, kind of a, a, an overview of uh, what you know the other parts of loot because um, there's a lot to kind of like dig through and whatnot and. I uh, try and share as much info and knowledge, and I really like the Atlas. And, you know, this started to, like, connect in um, people's mind about how this is all kind of, like, starting to uh, come together, per se. Because, um, like, the whole on-chain type stuff, it's, like, a lot of apps, it kind of felt, like, too abstract to kind of explain to these artists and game devs in a way, but there's a lot of aspects of the composability and interoperability and just like progressive enhancement from metadata that I find, uh, you know, really interesting from a building the open metaverse perspective. So yeah, I, I've just been doing my best to kind of encourage like, you know, it's skin in the game, mint an M loot bag and then mint a hyper loot and, but people are still kind of unsure, like, what makes this like really special yet? So if there's good red pills on that, I mean, I really like the uh, original. Um, there's this tweet thread. Uh, yeah. Created graphic like this. 
Yeah, that's good. I was going to point you to some of Tim Shell's threads, too. Could be helpful. Is there like a greatest hits thread? I think there is. <laughs> that's good. I like that. I'm not going to link to And I'm noticing we need to make some changes to some buttons on that website, the Loot Project website. Yeah, a couple dead. Well, hyper like uh, Hyperloot is not coming soon. Is that it's here? Yeah. Yeah, my um, my presentation today actually is about that topic specifically, like what loop is. So, but also, again, right now, yeah, like yeah, right now, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, please. Yeah, and Jin, I'm now wondering if I can go back. I bet I I know we have like, you know, one of these one of these loot town squares where we've spent time just going through kind of what loot is, what 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 gets us excited about it. Um, what if I can cut something together um, from our past videos or past loot town squares that kind of um, you know, kind of coherently presents those ideas. It'd be a fun project. Um, yeah. There's well, also that, that great video. video right? There's a great video that, um, uh, Mackenzie Davenport made. Yeah. That's exact. That's the one I usually send to people. Um, I'll go find that and post it in general, but that one's pretty good. As well, it's like seven minutes. But um, cool. Well, thanks, Jen. Um, exciting stuff. Uh, a lot of it's over my head, but it's it's um, uh, it's really cool to see all like the breadth and depth of all the uh, just all the research and all the areas of research that um, that you and the the M3 team are working on. Um, it looks like we've got, yeah. we added maybe like 10 people since we started. Um, just kind of a refresher for everyone. Uh, we don't really have an agenda today. And, um, and so it's just kind of open mic. So Jin started, Jin kicked us off. Um, but if anyone has anything to share, um, the mic is yours. So, um, I was actually going to, uh, present my presentation, uh, next week because the very end of it is like a little rough, but it feels like a good time to just do it and always redo it and put it on YouTube. Fix that last part. Um, just because Jen was asking that question. So yeah, that's whatever. Fuck it. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> do it live. Let's go. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yay. All right. Yeah. So, um, um, can y'all hear me too, by the way? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So I'm going to talk about, uh, what the fuck is loot? Um, this is something I have been thinking about since Luke came out and spending a lot of my time on. 
but it also kind of captures a lot of questions I was obsessing over, um, like uh, for a year before Luke dropped. So this is the first time I can somewhat put this together like coherently. Emphasis on somewhat though, because uh, we're only ten months into this loot experiment. So all these ideas we have about what it is like will evolve, and they are also limited by our you know perspective of only being so such a young ecosystem. <laughs> um, cool. A weird side note before I start: um, these ideas are not coming from a glass of Laliac. Uh, they're coming from a uh, being with a name, face, and voice who has kind of yet to emerge in the public sphere. So um, these are her ideas. Okay, so I'm going to talk about uh, what the fuck is loot. I'm going to talk about the idea that loot is a new art form, that that art form is this thing called emergent art. And then I'm going to talk about the idea that emergent art offers a fresh perspective on um, what art uh, even is. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to assume you have some familiarity with loot because this is specifically for the loot community. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, let's start with a little story, shall we? So, at the end of the 18th century, a host of uh, different entrepreneurs and uh, engineers began to develop the first motion picture cameras. Um, and um, people, uh, started to make things with this new technology. Now, it's obvious um, from our perspective that uh, um, movies are an art form that kind of bundle a lot of art forms that came before movies, right? It has elements of oral storytelling, literature, theater, visual arts, uh, photography. Um, but like any um, very, very, very young, uh, you know, um, uh, technology, uh, it takes a lot of tinkering before um, people kind of figure out what is the art form that the technology enables, right? Um, so they do, uh, actually, the, there's a technical word for this period, they call it the skeuomorphic phase, where people don't know what you can do with a movie camera, so they kind of borrow from all these previous art forms. So they're like, oh, uh, a movie, it's kind of like a photo, you know, but it, it like, it, 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 it moves. It's like, oh, okay, may, maybe. <laughs> um, and they're like, um, oh, it's it's actually, maybe it's more like a, a, a theater piece, right? Because there are actors and characters and you can tell this like little story. It's like, yeah, maybe like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and so on. And so forth, um, folks uh, kind of experiment um, with, you know, this new technology and we kind of thankfully exit this very um, finicky um, and gimmicky um, early era of filmmaking and um, we start to um, see the first um, like narrative films um, emerge. Uh, and it's kind of this like big bang moment because... Um, filmmaking as an art form really starts to, uh, you know, exit from the womb <laughs> and become this, like, mature thing. So how does that happen? Like, how do we go from, like, you know, these, like, really silly little skits to, like, you know, um, I don't know, uh, Star Wars? Well, um, 
uh, as Stanley Kubrick um, put it, the thing that um, filmmakers like discover um, in this period um, is uh, the cut. Um, once they start to have this like ability to like splice one moving image after another, this enormous uh, field of narrative potential is like opened up, um, and um, this new kind of art form um, is unlocked. Uh, movie making, narrative film, the thing we know and love today, with its own language for talking about it. Okay, cool. Here's another story. So in the 2000s, uh, 2010s, a host of engineers and entrepreneurs started to develop this new technology called the general purpose blockchain. And a bunch of people were like, oh, cool, I guess we could make art with this thing. So they um, were in their own kind of awkward, futile stage um, where they're like, oh, maybe, you know, art on this blockchain, well, it, it's kind of like... Uh, um, like physical artworks, so it, it, it's like a digital painting. Like, okay, well, it's like, well, no, it's not exactly a digital painting. Maybe it's more like um, a kind of country club pass, you know, to this like, you know, grift digital private space where you can hang out with all these other rich people. It's like, okay, like not exactly, and then so on and so forth. They kind of, you know borrow from all these previous art forms until we have our own Big Bang. Now, uh, we all know what happens after it drops uh, and is planted in the blockchain and this like enormous uh, interconnected networks of artworks that emerge um, like an ecosystem from a seed. Um, and loot, still to this day, as we were just discussing, is utterly baffling. Because unlike all the previous shit, you can't actually define it from previous art forms. And in fact, we don't even have a language for um, talking about this thing. So, um, you know, the other thing people notice, though, is that, like, it really does seem to be the case that Loot, like, kind of discovered, like, something unique to what you can do on a blockchain, Right. Like, it does seem to be the case that there is some kind of art form, like, like uh, uh, emerging out of this, like, experiment that totally um, was, uh, you know, wildly successful. So, uh, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> We've all been trying to answer that question. Um, and people have been, uh, you know, giving it a bunch of different names. Loot has been called decentralized storytelling, decentralized world building, decentralized art, decentralized Collaborative media, collaborative world building, collaborative media, collaborative CCO world, bottom-up storytelling, bottom-up fiction, community as art. Um, and I'm sure there are more names. And the picture we get of that description of what this loop thing is, is that it's like a decentralized community, like building a multimedia world from the bottom up. Which is like cool, um, but... That, as a description of Loot, is not actually new. I mean, like, fan fiction, unfiction, and interactive fiction universes are, like, decentralized communities that have a whole host of different mediums and um, uh, that are built, you know, largely from the bottom up, or in some cases totally from the bottom up, right? Art collectives and art movements are, like, exactly like that, like Flexus. It's an interdisciplinary uh, network of artists that have no leader that build this multimedia thing from the bottom up, 
Um, even our mythologies, like the theater of celebrity or Jesus Christ, <laughs> are all like that. I mean, look, that's architecture means. Um, uh, I mean, you get you get the gist. Um, um, or poetry. I mean, it's as, uh, as old as time. Uh, the Odyssey was composed by a decentralized network of rhapsodes, um, all singing the story of Homer. And even the idea of like the community as the artwork itself is not totally new. That's uh, um, very common in community art. Um, meta design has a very similar design practice approach to that. And the artwork as system is not new at all. That's the whole idea behind generative art. So this description that we end up with, with our current language for describing the, um, uh, doesn't seem to be able to point to, you know, what makes loot loot, right? It's almost like we're calling filmmaking, um, motion picture, oral storytelling, or it's almost like calling like a car, you know, a mechanical horse. <laughs> so... Again, we ask the question, like, if loot is this massive community of artworks um, that could encompass any and all art forms ever, like, what is the thing that makes loot loot? Like, if the cut is what helps make film film, what makes loot loot? Um, and my friends, I think uh, that the thing that is truly unique to loot is the primitive. Now, um... As I said before, this is an unfinished presentation, but um, even if I presented this to you next week, it would still be kind of unfinished because um, uh, we are only beginning to kind of scrape the surface of how to build these things and also, like, um, what these things, like, even are. <laughs> um, uh, it's something that I expect to be writing about, and I'm sure um, many others uh, will be writing about for like uh, years and years and years. Um, and the challenge with talking about primitives now is that there is just so much to say. Uh, so to fit them in the context of a short town square presentation where you don't want to take up time uh, when your friends have to present is a very difficult. Like you could talk about, you know, the kind of two sides of these tokens that elements within a primitive or like the governance mechanisms they enable. You can talk about the connections that, you know, um, the primitives have with like the digital democracy movement that's currently flowering. You can also talk about um, the people that are building these primitives um, and the language that is arising from them. Um, but what I want to get at with these primitives is like um, the kind of like a, a unique aesthetic experience you get um, from deriving from um, a loop bag. I think is that where we can start to kind of like pull apart what this loop thing is. So before I get to that, a very brief and faulty definition of a primitive. Um, the way I think about primitives and, um, is that they are kind of like the kind of um, irreducible, like primordial, like original things from which um, a complex whole of other artworks emerges. Um, jargony. Let's just give you examples. Um, also unfinished. <laughs> um, uh, the same way that like um, the art form and the culture of hip hop emerges from the kind of original elements of like rhyme speech over breakbeats and the sampling, 
or the same way that like our uh, known universe emerges from, I'm going to get this wrong, but like the primordial soup of like helium, hydrogen, um, and a few other elements. Um, uh, the loop verse emerges from these kind of original um, elements of these 8,000 bags and the items inside them. So the practice of building um, these emergent art primitives is very much a practice of like stripping something down to its like most original and first elements that you can't, you know, divide or pull apart. And then arranging them in a special way so that people can, um, you know, build other artworks with them. Um, and in this way that they're designed entirely for emergence. Um, they are built for other shit to be built from them. And this is what I get, or I'll get back to what I wanted to talk about, which is this unique aesthetic experience of emergent art and of these primitives. Um, and this is what Dom calls like the magic of uh, deriving, um, uh, which is uh, <laughs> that process of going to the loot bag, pulling it apart, examining all of these like raw materials, and then being like overcome <laughs> with like visions of what loot is and what um, other um, artworks can emerge from these original elements. Um, it's this like very deeply personal um, communion, right? Where like Tim Shell goes to the primitives and gets a vision of like the Genesis um, project, right? Or I go to the primitives and get like a vision of like the sounds of the universe, right? Or um, Swami goes to the primitives and gets this vision of violet and vitriol. Um, and it really is like this kind of like a static, like a visionary um, uh, uh, state. Um, or, um, you know, those are old visionary artists here. <laughs> Visions of what, you know, these primitives are. And it's kind of through that process, ignoring all the technical dimension of this, how blockchains work, um, that the materials of a primitive spread far and wide, and we have this kind of like world emerge, this like emergent complexity, what Tim Shaw calls like lo-fi to hi-fi, right? Of like lines of text to like small Discord community to like massive multiplayer online games to like VR worlds, um, et cetera, et cetera. So this basic like relationship with these totally baffling and weird um, things, where'd they go? Things, <laughs> where'd they go? Things, like this fundamental relationship between the deriver and the um, primitive, I think is where we can start to see um, how loot and um, uh, uh, you know this entire phenomenon is like fundamentally different. Let me explain it this way. So most people um, uh, think about um, art um, like this. Um, uh, an artist builds a thing, an art, right? Like uh, Picasso draws a painting, and that painting 
um, goes to um, the audience, right? Uh, I go and I watch the painting. Or, you know, Toni Morrison writes a book, and, and that book is viewed or read, you know, by me. Um, this is how you're like mom and dad and pop about what art is. Um, and in this understanding, what, you know, we think of as like the artwork, um, it's very simple. It's the thing that the artist builds. Um, and the, uh, you know, sentence that you could describe for how this art works is like, does the art uh, rouse your soul? That's the relationship with it. Um, the other kind of dimension of what art is that appears in like the 20th century with like folks like Marcel Bouchon is like, you know, absolutely everywhere around us right now is art that's this kind of participatory kind, right? Where you could think of it as like, does the art rouse your soul to build something with it? And I'll explain that. So the artist makes some art, the art goes to the audience, and the audience like builds something with it. Like, for example, so-and-so builds Minecraft, um, Minecraft goes to the audience, and the audience like um, builds shit in Minecraft, right? Or, you know, um, Kanye West makes a music video, and then the art, and then we go on to Twitter, and we talk about the music video, and we kind of co-write that experience. And in this relationship, the idea of like what the artwork is, is, as like Duchamp um, uh, put it, it's this kind of like gray space in between the audience and the art, where it's like kind of co-written with people. Um, and it is this kind of like, you know, it is rousing you to participate in the artwork, um, but um, uh, it's only rousing you to kind of build a little thing with it. And this is where it kind of loop uh, changes that paradigm and that idea of what art is. Where um, Dom, the artist, makes this thing called a primitive. Um, but you don't spectate the primitive, nor do you kind of just build a little thing with it. Um, that primitive goes to the audience who um, dare into the crystal ball and derive other artworks. And through that process, they become, they become an artist and they build more artworks. Those artworks go to more audience members and those audience members, you know, then become the artist. And so far you get this like, you know, this spinning thing. And the idea of what the artwork is in this world is um, the whole fucking thing, the whole, sorry, the whole gosh darn thing, right? Um, this collective intelligence, this network artwork, this social technology, this whole gosh darn thing, that entire loop verse is um, the artwork, this thing that emerges from the primitives, um, this kind of universal democratic artwork governed by the people. Um, so, yeah, that is the horribly explained, uh, uh, I really should have waited a week. <laughs> Goddamn, um, I'm regretting that. But yeah, here you go. That's the kind of basic ideas that I've been playing with um, for this uh, emergent art thing. Glasso, I've got goosebumps, and I've been live-tweeting you, so I'm so glad that you presented this today. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yay. <laughs> you've really found your um, voice. I know you've been noodling on this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, uh, yeah, the, the idea for it came, like, uh, months and months and months ago, but I'm only... 
albeit starting to be able to kind of put it all together. So, um, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I should, or I'll talk about the manifesto later. Um, but yeah, like, um, the idea is that like, you know, uh, uh, this, this kind of like, you know, new art form that is blossoming forth of loot, like deserves this, uh, its own kind of manifesto. So me and Max Geo have been like building the emergent art manifesto, um, which I presented like six months ago, maybe. So we'll share that, um, you know, within the coming months too. So yeah, there's my really rough draft. Thanks y'all. I think between that presentation and Jen's, one one thing I hadn't thought of before was the, I don't know how many of you guys remember the N64 transfer packs. It's kind of a, like a big innovation at the time, but it was this cartridge that went into the Nintendo 64, and then it accepted a um, Game Boy cartridge. And you could unlock special content within the N64 world based on the state of the Game Boy cartridge. So I think Pokemon Stadium was like the first one to kind of debut that functionality. But yeah, seeing what Jin's doing, knowing what Standard Pombo's doing uh, with Loot MMO, and hearing, you know, your your fresh take on Loot, call it all he had. Um, yeah, it just makes me kind of think of that, that functionality. Why that overall kind of fizzled out, um, I think it's relevant now to think about that you could be in loot MMO, accomplish some kind of quest or unlock something, an item, and then go into this completely different world. And that's the like the only way to get that item in that other world would be to actually visit loot MMO to unlock it, right? So it's the same thing as like you have this N64 game. And there's technically content that can be unlocked within the game, but you can't unlock it directly inside that world. You actually need this other game console with a separate cartridge, a separate world to enter in order to unlock the content in this other world. And so as we start to see more loot worlds um, uh, emerge, it, it does feel great in that it's not competitive, it's, it's collaborative. And as long as we're strategic and... We continue to work together. I think it's going to open some really cool new gameplay options where you do have to not travel to different worlds within the same world, like you know, go through this dungeon to get this item. You actually have to enter an entirely different space, an entirely different like metaverse or world, do something in that world to unlock it, and then bring it back into this other world. Um, so yeah, really intriguing presentations today and um yeah thanks for all the speakers i think that's a good yeah. idea i think that's a strong way that collaborations can be done with cross promotion to actually to actually have interaction on on both ends yeah we fortunately we already see that right when we think about projects like the rift which will grow into like HyperXP. It's like multiple contracts on the blockchain. And so you're you're doing these quests, you're minting Genesis Mana, building Genesis Adventures, 
creating uh, crypt dungeons, you're earning XP, and then when you do other things, they read that Rift XP contract to see how much XP your bag has, like mana crystals, and you mint a crystal, and you get a higher level crystal because you raided this other crypt dungeon, right? So we're already doing this, but purely at the on-chain, like almost like a text-based dungeon crawler level. It's all just on-chain um, contract interactions. Um, but yeah, as we expand to this increased level of fidelity, where you're actually entering these visual worlds, it's really just following that same playbook that we've already demonstrated we can do. Um, so yeah, it makes me really confident that, that we can absolutely make this work, work. And then, yeah, thinking back to like the N64 like transfer pack, does kind of have that vibe to it, where it's like, yeah, here's this game, and this game is fun, and you can play this game all the way through by itself, but there's these extra fun unlocks that if you happen to have this other console with this other game and complete these quests, now when you play this other game, you get these other cool unlocks. And as a gamer, I was I was really impressed by that functionality and thought it was really great. I, I suspect the reason it didn't, uh, reach significant success is probably in the difficulty of like composability and you know when you produce a physical game cartridge the code's sort of locked right like i produced it at time one and it's there so if somebody else creates something later i can't easily backport that into my game whereas with the blockchain we absolutely can and so we can spin up new contracts um and we can do all of these things and we can you know, connect these wires sort of in real time to do the to do these fun unlocks. So, yeah, this is I think we're about to enter a very, very exciting next chapter on on the game side of loot. Um, I think, yeah, there's a lot of other things going on that are exciting in loot, like open quill, like the, like the world and story building uh, also, uh, but particularly on the game side with like Jim, what you presented today, and then like Loot MMO. Yeah, there's just, I mean, we're really at the precipice of unlocking or realizing, I think, what many of us have, have seen uh, as being possible for a very long time. Um, but now it's like right there. I mean, like Loot MMO is reading blockchain state and using that to affect the way the world uh, works and your experience within it. And I, I think we just need that next unlock, which is the right, so as soon as it can write back to the blockchain. Um, and then, Jen, these other worlds can, you know, are already reading state. So as soon as somebody can write, you know, now all of a sudden, when you power up Loot MMO and somebody else has changed that, the state of those items or something in a way that Loot MMO deems as uh, legitimate, now all of a sudden we have that, that bilateral communication between worlds. So yeah, again, great, great presentation. Hey guys, that's such an amazing. Uh, I just, I just enjoyed everything you just said so much. The the thing it brings to mind too for me is like, this is why I think that emerging art like loop is like really kind of like that next big thing, um, you know, because like artistic mediums kind of rise and fall, right? They dominate, you know, a society or a culture for. A handful of decades and then you know this next thing kind of um comes up and the, the you're hitting at why i think like loop and emergent art is like the next big thing like if we think of 
you know, the last like a hundred year trajectory of like the artistic mediums that like dominated the culture. Um, it's always been the one that is like the most immersive, right? Like movies, like totally like took over, um, everything. Um, but then, um, you know, movies get like, um, beaten with more immersion from like video games because a video game adds a movie, but makes it, it's a video, it's a movie, but it gives you a controller to be a character. So now you're interacting with it more immersive. And then you have like celebrity, which is like transmedia storytelling, right? Where it's like, you know, it's the song, it's the music video, it's like the character um, in their life um, interacting with some other celebrity and you kind of get drowned in this like enormous um, multimedia universe of like, you know, a pop star. But the thing about Loot is that it like takes all mediums ever into one big thing but like every single person is like just as much a creator and artist of that universe as any other person and the blockchain enables that composability and all of a sudden like it's almost as if we've never actually had in the history of all our art forms a, 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 like a meta medium that is like more immersive than something like Luke. and that's why I really think that this is like the next big thing to kind of speculate and talk you know um hyperbolically so I, I really love those ideas in here yeah I was thinking about your definition too and I, th I think it's a it's a good take and it's you know defining loot is something that you know I've spent a fair amount of time in and it's it's difficult to do I think well, I see a lot of people using the term on chain and uh, I, I, I think I don't think that communicates well to people who aren't familiar with blockchains so when you say that, like, like if you just added on-chain to your definition and said it's on-chain, you know, primitive, emergent art, I don't think that communicates anything to people who are familiar with blockchain, so I don't think it's, it's good to do that. But I think what the blockchain enables is high availability. Like, so it's highly available um, primitive art, or, 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 yeah, emerging primitive art. And I think the high availability is really what the blockchain is unlocking here. Like anybody with an internet connection can access the state of loot. So if, if it is that game cartridge that can be moved across games, like the N64 transfer pack analogy, um, that, that transfer pack, that, that cartridge that's moving that anybody can plug in is highly available. Anybody can access that. Um, no one, you know, the only state change to it today is the transfer function of the loot contract. Someone can sell their loot bag to somebody else. Um, but other than that, uh, that state is highly available in terms of ownership. And then what we've all built around it uh, provides the more like amorphic uh, qualities of loot. Like all of these other peripheral NFTs, rounds, Fits and Caverns, all of these other things that we own. Uh, those states can change as well. And we see more and more games where it's not just plugged in your loot bag, but plugged in your loot bag, plugged in your Genesis adventure, plugged in this, right? And so we're just kind of expanding out. And yeah, again, I feel really optimistic about us being able to pull this off because we've already been doing it, right? Like the last Crips rating chapter, you could use more loot, you can lose loot, you can lose Genesis adventures. Right, so it's just like more and more of those peripheral um, uh, cartridges uh, being used, essentially. So, yeah, yeah, it's 
it's a really exciting time. Um, I mean, there's never really been adult time, I don't think, to be in loot, to be honest. It's just different types of excitements, but I think this phase excites me the most because I think we have kind of found our pace and rhythm, and we found, um, yeah, like our collective voices, and I think, I think we're all headed in a very productive um, direction, and it's going to be really exciting to see what gets unlocked over the next 12 months. Preach. Hell yeah. Also, something strikes me there uh, as you're talking about uh, immersiveness and how whatever the, the most successful modern art form is is the most immersive. I often talk about you know, hyperverse versus metaverse. And it strikes me that the metaverse, while it will be visually immersive, may not be that brain immersive. Yeah. The metaverse, you know, especially like the Facebook version of the Oculus Quest metaverse, may actually feel like pretty brain off. Turn my brain off and go on a roller coaster. Turn my brain off and you know, immersively fight zombies. But there's something really powerful about the brain on uh, version of the hyperverse and version of what you're talking about where all the creativity and all the world building is happening in your mind. And what you're talking about is a meta, meta art form, you know, communing with the primitive and through that primitive finding a vision. That moment is you know, as immersive as it gets. And so just amen to that concept. And yeah, I like what you're preaching here. Yeah, that's where it's like democratic too. And I think that people just like innately feel more like spiritual ownership and something that's like actually uh, democratic. So I, I agree with you. I think that in the long run, the hyperverse is the vision that most people will get behind. Also, metaverse just has like an absolutely brand. <laughs> like people are already kind of wary of it. So I think like once they start to see that there is this actual like democratic and artistically legitimate and like um, egalitarian way of making art in this like Web3 world, I think that uh, it'll turn from, like, relief to, you know, um, yeah, excitement. So I love, I love that idea. Thanks. Uh, well, dare I ask, does anyone else have a presentation that they want to share today? We've just done two 45-minute ones back-to-back, -back, both incredible. Maybe we should call it there, but if anyone else has anything pressing, Mike is still open. I have a really short one. It, it probably won't top the other ones. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like a five-minute one. I won't take everyone's time too much. Nice. Go for it, Max. Okay. So, um, for anyone that doesn't know me, I, I've like been in loot, but I've actually been been gone for a while because I've been building this thing that was inspired by loot and um, and like some problems that I've noticed in in the loot discord so like well, one of them is basically the like minting and looter claiming and loot uh, so I know that it's been a little bit tr tricky to do that from etherscan for you know some people that aren't very technical or familiar with etherscan so uh, and then also I, I know some other 
some other project linked to Etherscan to mint different stuff. Uh, but I made a tool that lets you basically create a, like a front end for uh, for smart contracts, basically for any smart contract. Um, and then it just it just has like a better experience for for just like doing minting stuff without having to build something totally custom. So I'll show you what it is. It's called Formy. Uh, so here we go. Can everyone see that big blue screen? Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> you can see I used the the M, M loop bag as the example here, but. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty simple. It's like you can make a contract and then actually submit it, and then it works in like under two minutes. So I'll just show you. So all you have to do is connect uh, a wallet like this, and um, and you can create a new form. Uh, for now, it's just Ethereum based contracts. But like, let's use the uh, the Mlut example. So we'll make a form for it. And the difference between this and something like Etherscan is that um, you make a dedicated page for each method. So like one of the First problems is like, where do I go on Etherscan to find the thing? It's like, I, I don't really know where to go. And like, which method do I do? No, I should mint it, but it's just claim. But anyway, so you can kind of like create a, like an abstracted landing page that makes it really easy for people to just like do something. Um, so it would be the claim method so that people be able to claim it. And then you can actually just give the whole page its own title. So it's like claim your um, M loot bag so, so they don't only have to go off of just like the method name <laughs> and, and try and guess what it does. And then sometimes they have a description, but it doesn't give instructions uh, that, that are more helpful than just describing what the method does. So in here, um, I don't know what the, the instruction would be, but it can be like something like uh, make sure to do something, right? And then you can just create a form like that. It would just take a few seconds. Uh, and then you have a form. And then now this is like a, a publicly accessible thing. So any of you could actually go to this. I'll, I'll put it in the chat here. Any of you can go to that and actually use it. Um, I won't be able to, to do it because I don't, don't have a ton of money but um, like to actually submit it. But I have this other one. This is like a delegate one for Uniswap tokens. So it like lets you delegate your votes. And I'll actually submit this right now. And it'll take like two seconds. So you do that. You connect your wallet. If you weren't connected already, it's the same kind of thing as the homepage. Just make sure you trust it because some people don't know that uh, that anyone can create forms for any contract, uh, and it just like gives them a gut check to make sure that what it's advertising it is lines up with what the actual contract is, and they'd be able to see it on there. And then like, you, you would just go to submit it, and then you know just cost a buck and it works, and then it'll it'll process for like two minutes. We can come back to this. It, it won't even take two minutes, but then it'll actually go through, and. Um, and I'll be able to actually prove that it works, and this is not just like a prototype. But um, but that's basically it. And and my thinking is that uh, you know some of the projects that, that link out to Etherscan, this might just be like a like a little step up, so that it makes it easier for for people to like interact with the projects that uh, the amazing projects that have been made here. So yeah, that's basically it. This will be done in a second. But yeah, that's the whole thing. I think that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is the uh, is the page immutable once it's created, like this form? Pardon me. Is the form immutable once it gets created? Uh. So. Oh, there we go. One through. Uh. So you can edit. Yeah. So for for now, just because of like this is like the V one version. 
uh, it can't be changed, but but like we're gonna we're building signing with Ethereum so that you can so that you can edit the form after, and then the next thing will be you can actually edit the titles of the individual inputs as well. Um, so just for now, it's not it's not immutable, but like that will change in the next few weeks, or it is immutable, but it'll change. Yeah, I, I think you may consider leaving an immutable option too, because I know as a user it would. It would give me stronger security guarantees that something was created by maybe someone publishes it in the Discord and says, hey, if you want to make this thing, here's the link. And then I click it yesterday, and then I go through it, and I verified everything. You know, I was meticulous about checking the transactions. And then if I went there in three days, if I know that there's a guarantee that that's immutable, that link, uh, that's actually a benefit to me as a user. So it may be useful to have both options or something. Um, and even like, like thinking about how to really prove that it's immutable and like if it was like uploaded to like a PFS or something like that where there's like a hash of the content, so I can go to it and know with a high uh, degree of confidence that it hasn't changed. All of that, uh, I see its value as a potential user. So just something to consider, but yeah, this is really great. Definitely a value add to the space maps. A good thing. Cool. Just just to be clear, you wouldn't be able to change which contract is is like under underneath the link. Just like the like the title of the description would be editable. So like if you if you create a form and then it makes a link and then it's based on a certain method of a certain contract, you can never change that. The only way that you can change it is if you basically delete it and then you aren't able to access that link anymore. But it's just like the like the like the, the text basically. Yeah, I, I still think it would be beneficial, kind of like pseudoswap or something like that, where you just if you want to create something new, you just create something new, um, and then you just publish that new link or something. But having none of the content change allows you to do like an IPFS hash or something and look at that hash value and know that okay, this is a hash of all of the content. And I know that none of the content has changed, where as soon as some of the content has changed, uh, it, it's just weaker guarantees, I think. Even if you're picky promising that nothing else changed, as a user, I'm going to have more time to like, okay, let me just double check this transaction, make sure nothing sneaky happened. Whereas if you can, um, yeah, give the user like that, that strong guarantee that nothing changed, it makes it even more convenient for them, because I can just, yeah, click that link from Discord that. Uh, project provided. Um, so yeah, just something to consider. And I'm only one user, of course, um, but just some early yeah. feedback. Yeah, thank you for that. The, the the tension for me has always been how how much do I cater to like people who are not familiar with the space, and how much do I cater to people who are right? Because the more information I give to someone who's newer and maybe doesn't even know what IPFS is, or like if like what it would look like if they saw it might make it even more intimidating and more likely they wouldn't interact with it. But I, I see your point, for sure. Yeah. The, I think there is lessons to be drawn from pseudoswap. And I mean, some of the decisions they've made have definitely hurt the usability, like the fact that you can't link directly to a swap anymore. As a user, it's like, man, that's really annoying that I can't just send somebody a link to a swap. Um, but it's important to consider why they've reached those outcomes and that, you know, as people have been scammed using pseudoswap over time, there's some amount of liability, I guess, even if it's not legal liability, but some type of 
even maybe even just social viability put onto PseudoSwap because of that. And so, you know, if this tool is abused in a way that's sneaky, where people start getting uh, scammed out of stuff, then uh, yeah, some of that just may fall back on the project. So it, it's worth it's worth yeah, just really thinking through PseudoSwap's use cases and what they build, and then just making sure that. Um, I would think you at least provide an option that provides high guarantee, and then if users don't want to use it, if they want the simplified one, uh, mm -hmm. then that would be another option too. But, um, yeah, all of that aside, this is a highly useful tool. I mean, I know in the Genesis project, you know, for a while before we had our front end front ends built out, it was purely go to EtherScan and do this, and we had a lot of newer people in the community, and so. You know the steps just to list out the steps of like go here connect your wallet you know click this button sometimes there was um, like when you're minting a genesis adventure you have to enter all of the, the ids for the genesis model so it was like eight ids and it's kind of a lot to it and so a lot of that documentation had to exist of course outside etherscan um so a tool like this would have made it much quicker uh to get up and going off the bat and just mean people at least to this this tool which would have yeah, provided all of that extra documentation kind of right in the minting process. Right. So yeah, good job. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Um, sure. First, why does it say temporal loot in the MLoot bag? Because, uh, so, so that's actually the name of the contract in the contract itself. Oh. So, so, it, so I was confused as well, um, which is like another experience thing that, that could be tricky because I may... Maybe someone knows, but I think it was named Temporal Loot initially, and then it was changed to Emroot um, because that's the the name of it mm -hmm. in the contract that was deployed. But, but then, then EtherScan. Got why it. does it then say more loot on EtherScan? So that's custom metadata that um, that you can add on EtherScan. So okay, uh, it's almost like a veneer over the contract. I got you. It, it confused me as well. <laughs> and then I had to look at it. Uh, yeah, maybe um, maybe show both, or I don't know. I'm sure you've considered like which information to show. Uh, this gave me an idea. You know, you like there's the question that was Lou here brought up about the, the trustworthiness of the link that is sent to you. And then let's say we have a community in in Ludemimo, and I want to. Um, automate some of the some of the stuff right but I don't have a web designer on my team and I want to use this form for some of the loot uh, some of the custom loot loot nfts that we want or something like that right okay yeah. so how do I guarantee that like this link is that somebody received is the link related to our project right so maybe this is a monetization opportunity for you as well, like if there is a way when I'm creating the form that I can add my like my Twitter account as the trusted source here, and then maybe I can like customize the banner, and I would pay, you know, a small amount of Ethereum or something to um, customize this form, and then it's not it doesn't say anyone can make this form anymore. It says Standard Combo made this form. Right. And so if somebody in my community wants to be malicious and share 
with other people link saying hey this is where you get your bag they're going to go to that it doesn't have the style it doesn't have the colors that i chose it doesn't have my name on it so that could help um you know you could still have the checkbox like i trust this form but it doesn't say the author anymore right yeah i, I yeah so so you're, you're you're thinking along the same lines as as me so something that we were considering doing is just custom domains Right, like if mm-hmm. if the link for for the loop contract comes from loopproject.com, then they're like, well, it's unlikely someone hacked loopproject.com. Oh yeah, definitely the the, yeah. the URL, the custom URL name could be also benefit of the like the premium form. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah Thanks I, for that I idea. Like that. I hadn't even thought of the URL, but that's just obvious, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. It took me a while to. To, to think of that one. Yeah, and then just thinking through that the typical scan experience when you're looking at a contract and you're going to interact with it, like other things that you typically do to just verify that everything's normal, uh, is you typically look at the transaction history maybe and see who else has called this. And so if you could pull in that data too, that just gives the user extra confidence. They're like, oh, I saw Tim Shell just called the same exact method, you know, five minutes ago or something, right? Um, that could be potentially spoofed, of course. If someone stands up an alternate form or something that looks very similar, they could pull that in, I guess. But um, yeah, I'm just kind of thinking through the typical Etherscan use case and, and what security measures most people take, uh, like basic precautions. And like, how much of that you can easily pull in just to make it more seamless where I click the link, you know, kind of like looking at an HTTPS certificate. Like I know this is actually the right site. Like this is my bank site uh, because of the certificate. I don't really have to second guess it. And then, you know, knowing that it's calling the right method, knowing that it's the right contract. Like if all of that is like quickly available to me, that just increases the, the user experience and makes it even more, um, even more better, uh, even even better than than the EtherScan experience. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm gonna think about that. Thanks. <laughs> I've got an additional idea. Um, what if this can be embedded into a web page in a little yeah. box? Yeah, we're considering that, that too. It's just like a lot. It, oh, it, yeah, it, would, sure. it would be a lot to build. Yeah, Actually, but we, we, we don't know, but yeah, that's something we thought about as well. I'm probably going to use this. <laughs> nice. I like it. Okay. Me- message me if you need any help with, with stuff or have questions. I really think I want to use it too. Okay. <laughs> Can, it, but both of you, please message me after because I want to. I want to understand the which which you want to use it for exactly. Sorry, we'll do definitely over. That's everything I had. Wow, all right. Anyone else have a 
<laughs> surprising business that they've started out of the, <laughs> their communion with loot or what else? <laughs> so such a diverse uh, mix of presentations today. So cool. I think we should probably call it. It's almost been two hours. I have a minor update from yeah, Loot Memo. So um, I wanted to present some of the design conclusions, taking this from you know from the building block to to the high fidelity. Uh, the character classes is something that that uh, that I worked on. So I'm just going to copy paste from. Um, from the from the Luda MMO server, put it into our, our outpost channel here, and let me let me link to the channel here in the chat, and then so I'm thinking about nine classes. So we start with the the mage, the hunter, and the warrior. And you start with those as as the player, but then as you level up, you can then specialize, and each of those breaks down into three additional classes: the the healer, the sorcerer, and the warlock for the mage. For the hunter, you could break down into a druid, assassin slash rogue, uh, marksman slash ranger. So I mean, I guess the naming of those, I put the slash there because I'm not sure what kind of, you know what I mean? Are we going D and D? Um, what do you all think? Should it be assassin or should it be rogue? Should it be marksman or should it be ranger? Let me know. And then warrior, uh, shaman, fighter, and paladin for the warrior. And then those have kind of these three stats, uh, three character stats, wisdom, agility, and vitality. And I pulled this from lots of sources. Part of it was from the brainstorms in the weekly. We've been doing kind of semi-weekly um, Game, game design brainstorms in the in the loot MMO project. Uh, there's going to be another one tomorrow about monetization. Tomorrow morning, it's a really important one. Um, and then the second important piece to kind of get the game going is what do the items do, right? So the reason I went to the classes is because we want abilities, right? We want you know what can these characters do? Teleport, fireball, healing. Um, backstab, whatever abilities the characters are going to have. And so we're already working on those abilities. We're building the first three classes that are going to be the sorcerer, the assassin or rogue, and the, the fighter. So those are the first three that are getting built right now. And so we're going to have a roadmap of, of character content to release character classes, and that's cool for retention of players. Right, so we have an event in the game that is, we're releasing the healer class. Um, so make sure to come, and so it's going to have a sign up both in game. There's going to be an event sign up in game and in the Discord server for uh, hypothetically this upcoming healer class release, and uh, it's in two weeks. So players can can sign up for that, and it, this is going to reactivate lapsed players, bring them back. But also for the community, for you know, creators who are participating in, in making the um, the loot MMO, it can be you know reengaging for those people as well. Uh, so when we come to items, now is like you know very importantly, what do the loot bags do? And so let me paste some of the stuff. 
that is these are the basic stats uh, the first three are wisdom agility vitality those are kind of the character stats and then you have more um, base stats for combat which are the attack power skill power skill resist health and armor and um, went through different iterations of how to name those and, uh, and landed on these namings uh, for the stats that saw lots of different problems of, of disambiguation of the naming and also being descriptive enough about what they mean. So I drew from lots of sources to arrive at those. A couple more things. And then what do each item slot do? So we have, you know, the weapon, the chest, the waist, etc. Um, and then which stats those add. So you can see none of those are adding to the character stats, the wisdom, agility, or vitality. Um, none of the items improve those, those stats. So that is where the orders come in. So for items that are uh, greatness 15 or higher, they get the, the orders. And I was able to figure out a scheme um, for that. So we have the 16 uh, orders, and they add a mix of character stats and also combat stats. Um, so the perfection would be you get all three, you get a, a, a an even distribution of wisdom, agility, and vitality, etc. You know, you can read through. So I shared all this in the all these all these conclusions in the Luda Memo channel. And then the next step in this in this development is to actually put numbers, right? So for each chest piece, for each um, waist, for each head piece, um, the numbers of health and armor, et cetera, that each one is gonna give. And then for each order, like how much actual wisdom, agility, vitality do these items earn? And as they also move up from greatness 15 all the way to 20, these numbers of, you know, stats also will increase. So the next step here is, is to actually big, build the spreadsheet with all the numbers, the actual numbers that are going to be in game. So it's getting pretty close. And then the, the character selection screen, which for anybody who maybe hasn't seen it yet, I'm going to share my screen real quick. Uh, so this is the character selection screen in LUDMMO. And so once I have the numbers in, is going to be how to figure out how to modify the layout so that your character stats are visible here. You'll be able to see like your wisdom, your agility, your vitality, uh, your armor, your health, your attack power, and your skill power, right? will be um, here, probably here somewhere or down here. And then uh, you're, you're going to be able to mouse over the different gear pieces and and see what are they doing right what are they contributing and then as you change your your bag selection um, it'll modify the stats on the character uh, so that's the next step of development i've uh, already fixed all the bugs all the known bugs in the in the social hub and republished this as version uh, 0 0.1 last night so we're going to do a uh, a poker night 
uh, ha doesn't have a date yet, so that's upcoming. So the, the schedule is tomorrow morning uh, game design meeting about uh, monetization, so 9 a.m. in the Loot MMO server. Uh, please come if you're interested in contributing your thoughts to how we monetize Loot MMO. The money there would go to community funding or like hiring like community manager or you know anything like that that we need uh in the future right thinking about it you know one year from now revenue is coming in what is it used for and how how is it being generated so those are the two questions that i hope that we can answer tomorrow morning and then um schedule after that is poker night uh, i'm here and play some poker i'm gonna reskin this this ui to be more high fantasy like and then the next event after that is going to be the boot camp. So I have confirmation there will be a boot camp. So anybody who wants to learn about uh, real-time multiplayer uh, 3D game development uh, can participate in that boot camp. I'll have a form uh, that's not ready yet, but there will be a form where people can sign up to um, learn learn at the boot camp. It's going to be a one week one week long uh, uh, learning event. And, um, yeah, those are the three upcoming things for Luda Memo. Once I have more details about Poker Night and the boot camp, I'll share those in the in Discord as well. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Standard. Yeah, I'm excited for the meeting tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Awesome, buddy. Just want to share some thoughts um, about ch characters and loot bags. I think a lot about about it and um, about purpose of the loot bags. And I thought about how we should treat and use it. Uh, there is some disadvantages if we will associate loot bags with characters. For example, you can't uh, change items in your bag and often items from one loot bag belong to different places. And uh, another moment is limitation of 8,000 supply. So in context of characters, it isn't scalable. Um, it may seem that more loot solves this problem, but since supply of more loot is almost infinite, its value is very low. Um, and I think that loot realms found, found good solution in concept of distillation. Um, so I understand loot back as a set of relics, not characters, and the keeper of, of the bag, it's like keeper of ancient relics uh, and not character itself. And I think how it, we can scale <laughs> is this. Um, Maybe we can create in future uh, some expansion sets for loot. Um, for example, 
some weapons uh, missing in loot contract, uh, maybe bows on catters or something else. So we can um, create new classes and deploy second contract with the same supply, maybe <laughs> like this. Yeah, that's my sole state. And that's all. <laughs> What do you guys think about it? Uh, 1337, wanted to say hi and thanks for diving in. I know you said English isn't your first language, and so thank you for coming in with such a thoughtful idea. Uh, I totally agree. A loot bag is something that we each found on Etherscan or OpenSea and that we picked up. You know, we minted from a contract or we purchased from another. And it is a collection of these relics that we found. It was once held by somebody else, meaning that there was once likely a character who did wear this loot. Uh, but the, the loot bags that we found are actually items inside of a bag. Uh, and if you look at like the present tense, in the present tense, we are the characters, not the loot bag. We are the characters who have a loot bag. Uh, and through that loot bag, we've discovered that this bag is like a magical, infinite fountain of things. Uh, we found realms inside of them. We found Genesis Mana inside of them. We found stories inside of them. We found helms and 3D items inside of them. We found banners inside of them. We found whispers of ancient cities inside of them. Like inside these loot bags, we found that they contain you know, multitudes in the past and future. Uh, to I totally agree. I like that framing. Uh, and it also encompasses the idea that if somebody does want to take their loot bag and don the eight items inside of it and make that you know, their gear, then that person, that you become the adventurer wearing that, those loot items. Uh, but for somebody else, maybe you put the loot item on your back and you use it in an adventure. Or you, through the loot bag, uh, you, know, you distill a crypt. Uh, or you use your loot bag to raid a dungeon and find uh, ancient relics. So anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but I just want to say I totally agree with you. In the loot foundation uh, LDK that Loot Hero and I built, we tried to be really clear about that too, that like we are not loot bags. Loot bags you know, belong to a character, sure, but we have loot bags, and now it's up to us to go on our own adventures uh, and make use of these loot bags. Obviously, that's open to anybody's interpretation, but I really like that interpretation. Yeah, everyone is a player, and uh, that's all what's going on is a game, <laughs> not just a uh, concrete game, but all things that's go going on on blockchain is a game. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with those takes as well. I think that one one part of expanding the like the item set that I think most of us agree we need like there's a need to do that, and I think we have examples of some implementations for solutions like more loot. Um, I think what it's going to come down to though is which extensions other builders choose to build on. 
I think from the start of Boot, there's always been this conversation of what is canon and how do we define canon. And I think many of us have started to move to a place where that question is largely irrelevant in the present time. Um, anybody can create anything, like a Genesis Adventure, and at the moment it's created, it's just whatever it is. We don't need to say that is it or canon or is it not. What will end up happening is it'll get um, it'll get incorporated into more and more of the other community projects. And if that happens, then over a longer period of time, we can look back and say that yeah, that is canon now because it has um, it has utility in all of these other places, right? And so I think that as it relates to inflating the item supply, it's kind of similar um, that anybody could just, I mean, we already have more loot, right, for example. Um, and that seems to be pretty widely adopted, which is great. But I, I think, as you've mentioned, there are certain uh, problems with more loot. Like the one that comes to mind for me is that um, even more so than like the price is just that it is, like it's not a fair random loot bag anymore, right? Like people have generally identified the best one. So it's like if there's a new player coming in, it seems like a good user experience would be you have one that is known to be good or you can pick a random one. But more loot doesn't really offer that anymore. Um, the ones that still are available, and there might still be some pretty good ones out there to be fair, but uh, nonetheless, I think if we had an option that was truly random um, and even synthetic loot doesn't really provide this either, um, that would be a really fun entry point um, for new players as well. But I think ultimately it's going to, it's a two-part problem. It's not just creating some new loot-like primitive, like loot bag. Um, it's also figuring out um, who, what other builders are going to incorporate it into their games and their worlds. And we kind of need both pieces for it to be successful. And that's where what the Realms team is doing is really exciting because they're almost doing three things for us. One, they're introducing uh, a new primitive to expand the supply, which we agree with. Uh, secondly, they're providing a bridge to a new layer two that provides better scaling, which is exciting. And then thirdly, they're going to provide some basic, um, some standard utility for that new primitive within their game. Hopefully that won't, won't be the only utility, just like loot, anybody can build on loot. You know, the Realms team wants this new thing on StarkNet, it's new loot primitive to be used by other projects too, but they're pretty much, um, um, they're going to ensure that at least it has utility in their game, which is a great start. So, um, yeah, fully agree with the take there. Um, and, uh, yeah, just some, some things to think about as well as, as we all kind of explore that, that side of the, of the space or like that problem set, like some things that, that I've thought through as well. And yeah, to echo Tim Shell's statement, yeah, thanks for thanks for talking here. I yeah, it just it's it, it takes courage to speak up on any town hall or like any community call, and especially if English is in your first language and you're in an English uh, predominant space. Um, yeah, it takes a lot of courage. So kudos for that. I think on that note, let's call it two hours, more than two hours. Oh, my God. If somebody's watching this on YouTube later, you should probably put it on 2x speed. So slow down for Glasso's presentation. <laughs>
Uh, really good stuff, with you guys. That was awesome all around. I love the marathon town square. <laughs> Peace. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.